Let's pray together. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Well, have you heard people say there's two kinds of people and then they tell you what the two kinds of people are? I have a pastor friend, uh, Dion Bafo. He's retired now, living in Las Vegas. But he had a, a church, Samaritan Fellowship, over in Voorhees. And he said there are two types of children. They're like belly buttons. You got innies and you got outies. And the innies are the library seekers, the ones who play, you know, the Pokemon cards and, the, and uh, play the video games. And they're innies. And then you got the ones who aren't happy unless they're outside and they would be the outies. Now, just nod like this if you've met kids who are innies or outies. I, of course, am an outie. <laughs> it's pretty, right? Some people say, well, that I'm not a lover. I'm not a lover. I'm a fighter or the other way around. We've got givers and we've got, oh, you're good at this. We've got workers and we got watchers. Go like this if you've ever worked with a watcher. Oh, Yeah. We have teachers and learners. We have us, and we have, there you go. And let's be honest, there are too many, two kinds of people to list. So I have a quote for you from Robert Benchley. He said, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who believe there are two kinds of people in the world, and those who don't. In this Bible story, I'd like to say that we have two kinds of people. We have a critic, and we have a caregiver. And I'm sorry to say that in the church, we often have two kinds of people. We have critics and we have caregivers. Now, do you remember sitting in the dentist office when you were a kid and we're all of a certain age? They had the Highlights magazine. And you go to the very back and there was Goofus and Godfrey. And Goofus was the kid who, they were always faced with a similar decision. And Godfrey would make the right decision. And Goofus would make the wrong decision. Well, if there was a first century publication of Highlights Magazine, it might be called Judas and Mary. They were faced with the same decision, how to treat Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, where he had made it very clear to the disciples that he was going to be put to death. Judas made one decision. Mary made the other. <sighs> Judas, in this story, is still a disciple. I want you to hear that. Now, we only get the note in the scripture that he betrayed Jesus because the writer knew that after the fact. We don't know that yet. If we're listening to this story with first century ears, that's information that we don't have. And he's still on the surface a follower of Jesus and so trusted by Jesus that he's in charge of the money. But he's also a critic. A critic is a person who expresses an unfavorable opinion on something. That's what the dictionary says. A young musician's concert was poorly received by the critics, and the famous Finnish composer, Gene Sibelius, consoled him, patted him on the back, and said, Remember, son, there's no city in the world where they have a statue to a critic. Or... I like this one. This made my son laugh. It might make it into his sermon. A Hindu, a rabbi, and a critic were all in a car together. Of course, the car ran out of gas right in front of a farmhouse. 
They went and the farmer said, well, I only have room for two people. I can put you up for two people, but somebody has to sleep in the barn. And the Hindu said, I'll sleep in the barn. Into the barn he went. A few minutes later, there's a knock at the door. Rap, rap, rap. And the Hindu says, ah, there's a cow in the barn. I, I can't sleep in the barn. That's a, a sacred animal. Rabbi says, that's fine. I'll go in the barn. The rabbi goes in the barn, and a few minutes later, rap, 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 there's a tap on the door, and it's the rabbi. He says, I'm sorry, there's a pig in the barn, and, you know, pig is an unclean animal for us. I can't be in the barn with the pig. Fine, says the critic. I'll go in the barn. A few minutes later, rap, rap, rap on the door. It's the cow and the pig. Critics don't add, they don't build, they don't minister, they don't contribute. I've never met a person who said, I became a Christian because somebody was critical of me. I want you to hear that. Critics do not win people to Jesus. Think of the great caregivers of the world. We're, we're going to switch the focus to the caregivers. The people that literally sold all they have and gave to the poor. Mother Teresa, Hudson Taylor, Albert Schweitzer. You could go on and on and on with a list of famous missionaries that have done great works for the Lord because they were caregivers, not critics. Now, I want to say right here, and if I were going to be flippant in my sermon title, and I'm not, I would title this sermon, It's Not About the Nard. Now, some pastors are going to preach on the fact that the nard was an entire year's salary and that it filled the room with perfume, and it's not about the nard. It's not about the cost or the value or the use or the purpose or the extravagance. It's about the heart and the actions of the giver. So the story is told that Thomas Jefferson, when he was president, he and his entourage came to a river on horseback. Standing on the bank was a man who approached Thomas Jefferson and asked for a ride. Jefferson lifted him onto the horse and they crossed safely to the other side. Upon dismounting, several assistants criticized the man for asking the president of the United States for a ride. Look, replied the man, I didn't know he was the president of the United States. I just know that some people have a yes face and some people have a no face. And the president's face said, yes, so I asked him for a ride. From the parking lot to the pew, I want to build a congregation that has a yes face. Those who welcome others into our midst, we cannot change people any more than we can make a plant grow. But we can take away the weeds and the stones, which prevent development and join hands as God makes his will known. Mary had a yes face. So then the question is, where are you building your palace? Judas, we're told, was collecting money, perhaps, uh, what's the word, embezzling from the Son of God. Not a good decision on Judas' part. But he was worried about building here. Mary was worried about building there. Now, you know, I, one of my favorite disciples is... Thomas, um, I don't like to call him Downing Thomas, you may recall, I like to call him Honest Thomas, because he, he told the truth. He said, I, 
I'm having trouble believing that Jesus is risen from the dead. And it's not until I see the wounds in his hands and his side that I'm going to believe. And honest Thomas went to India. In fact, he's the patron saint of India. There are still congregations there that claim their parentage, would that be the word, lineage, all the way back to Thomas. There are churches in India today that Thomas planted. So the story's told that he was employed by the local king, and I'm going to butcher this name. If there's anybody listening online, I apologize in advance, but phonetically, it's Gundaforus, and he wanted a new palace, and he hired Thomas. I'm not sure why you would hire a disciple to build a new palace, but he hired Thomas to build the palace and was given money for materials and workmen, and Thomas took all the money and gave it to the poor. And Thomas kept putting off requests to see the work on the palace. And finally, the king got very upset. He called for Thomas and he said, have you built my palace? Yes, Thomas replied. Well, can we go see it now? The king said. Thomas answered, you cannot see it now. But when you depart this life, you shall see it. I have built you a palace in heaven by giving your money to the poor and the needy of the kingdom. Well, the king was furious, as kings often are when you misspend their money, and he threw Thomas into jail. And that night, the story's told that the king's brother died, and he went to heaven, and he saw the palace that had been built with the king's money. Miraculously, the brother rises from the dead and shares with the king the magnificent palace that Thomas had built for him in heaven. Thomas is freed from prison, and the king and his brother, according to the story, become Christians. So, do you have a yes face? And what, where are you building your palace? Now, the next question is probably the hardest for us, because I'm sure you've seen in the news, in the papers, or wherever you gather your information, that America is the most consuming country in the world. We consume something like 80% of the world's resources. And I like my air conditioning. And I, I like my nice, gentle ride in my car. I, I am as much a consumer as everybody else. But the question that Mary asks and Judas just puts right out there for all of us is, is it yours or is it God's? Two final stories, one true and the other a challenge. Well, it goes like this. Pastor Victor Shepherd tells of a missionary surgeon. And the surgeon was a very talented surgeon, but as many surgeons are, he wasn't very good with people. He was blunt and tactless. Now, there's several nurses in the congregation. Just nod like this if you've ever met a surgeon who was blunt and tactless, but very gifted. So he was a missionary surgeon, he'd done surgery, and he went out in the country to visit one of his patients to do post-op follow-up. They were overjoyed to see him. As he was walking into their house, he saw that they had a, a little, you couldn't even call it a barnyard, it had literally one Angora rabbit and two chickens. That was their entire livestock, and a little pen right by the door. He went in, they insisted that he stay for lunch, and he said, well, I have to go visit one more post-op down the road and I'll come back. He went and visited the other patient. He came back and there was a big pot cooking on the stove. 
And he peeked inside the pot. And in the pot was one Angora rabbit and two chickens. They had literally given everything they had. They were so grateful for what this man had done for them. Well, isn't that what Mary did? It's about a woman who poured costly perfume over our Lord and she wiped his feet with her hair. Make no mistake, the perfume was expensive. But Jesus was worth more. That's the true story. Here's the other one, and this one just tickles me. I love stories about new pastors and the mistakes they make when they go to church. I'm sure you've heard the one about the pastor who memorized a sermon. It was, Behold, I come in the name of the Lord. He got in the pulpit, and as often happens, he forgot everything except the first line. He said, Behold, I come in the name of the Lord. And his mind went completely blank. So he decided the best way to do it was to take a deep breath and say it louder. He said, Behold, I come in the name of the Lord. Nothing. Still blank. He decided he needed more emphasis and he wound up and he hit the pulpit as hard as he could. Behold, he said, I come in the name of the Lord. And he slammed the pulpit and the pulpit went right off the front of the, the, the uh, stage and landed right next to this cute little old lady in the front row. He was embarrassed. He ran down. He said, I'm so sorry. And she said, that's okay. You warned me three times. So this story is told of a, a young pastor who was at his first church, and he had his first funeral. And he didn't really know what to say, so he started to gather information. There was no family, nobody to tell him her favorite hymn or her favorite Bible verse. But what he found out was that this was not a pleasant neighbor. She was not nice to the people around her. and He had trouble finding something to say at her funeral. So he was in the local store, the general store, and he was lamenting to the owner that he wanted to do a good job in this funeral. It was his first funeral he'd ever done, and he didn't know what to say. And the storekeeper said, I want to show you something. And he took out that big book. Remember, in the, uh, we were talking about the Waltons in Sunday school. Remember, Ike had that big book where he wrote in what you bought and what you owed? And he showed him where every month for her entire adult life, she'd come in at the end of the month and she'd say, is there anybody who can't pay their bill? And she had paid the bills for all those people, for all those years. Never asked for any accolades, never told anybody. Like the children's sermon, it was a sermon you could see, but nobody saw it until after she was gone. She gave in secret not seeking accolades or recognition. It was a sermon you can see, but here's the good news. God sees. So here we go. Do you have a yes face? Where are you building your palace? And is it yours or is it God's? You have to do a checkup from the neck up. You have to ask yourself, am I a critic or a caregiver? And then you get to ask this question. Which will you be? Just because you're a critic now doesn't mean you have to be a critic forever. If you're a caregiver now, take the love of God and be a caregiver forever, but you can change. What talent, what skill, what knowledge, what resource, time, energy is God calling you to invest in the kingdom? For me, this is an Ebenezer Scrooge moment. 
The three ghosts have come in the personage of Judas and Mary. And now we are faced with the choice to, to challenge ourselves to choose our ministry from here on. Now, if we were at a, a liturgical church, uh, a Lutheran or an Episcopal or a Catholic church, after the sermon, they do the offering. And part of the offering is two people will bring the elements for communion from the back of the church to the front. Because they are representing that we are giving our lives to God. So today I ask you, what would you lay on the altar as a gift to God? Would you give God your heart, taking Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Would you give God your life, finding ways for God to work through you as a follower of Jesus? Would you give your issues, your hurts, your challenges? Would you give something or someone the opportunity to serve you? Would you give your critical spirit in exchange for a caregiving heart? Would you give your resources that make us feel safe and comfortable, but could be better used to build that palace in the kingdom of God? As always, our first pew after communion will be open. And at the end of the service, if you need prayer and counsel, our deacons or our pastors would love the opportunity to pray with you. One final quote. One of my favorite authors is Zig Ziglar. I don't know if you know, he was a sales trainer for many years, and then he made a rather spectacular decision for Christ. He wrote two of my favorite books. One is called Raising Positive Kids in a Negative World, and the other is called Confessions of a Happy Christian. He said, if you're going to be a Christian, you should be happy about it. But I all, this always stuck with me. He always said, your attitude determines your altitude. Are you a critic or a caregiver? Today is the day to choose. Amen.